Hey, listen, how many guys have been enjoying the Iceberg series so far, right? Anyway, Iceberg series. So we talked about fear. We talked about unforgiveness. And I just want to kind of uh, give a, a general overview of the Iceberg series, if this is your first Sunday with us or you hadn't been a part of the, the series so far. So what we're talking about with icebergs is that there are things in our life that when we look at them on the surface, they don't seem like that big a deal. But if we were honest with ourselves and we looked below the surface, below what people actually see, we would recognize that they actually are far more significant in our life and they control us more than we would like to admit. And so we talked about fear. We talked about unforgiveness, which I think everybody can, can look in their heart and recognize somewhere where we kind of have some unforgiveness in our life. How many guys got that person when you see them in Walmart, you pick a different aisle? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So... Uh, and so, man, we all have something that we deal with. So we talked about it the last two weeks, and today we're going to talk about vanity. Turn to your neighbor and say vanity. Now, girls, we're not talking about the thing where you put the makeup on and all that stuff, all right? So uh, we're talking about something totally different. Let's get into it. Our theme verse for this month, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, says this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that God wants us, he wants us to be steadfast and immovable. And so steadfast means faithful. We want to be faithful to what God has called us to, and he wants us to be immovable. How many guys are ready to be at a place in your life with your relationship with the Lord that it doesn't matter what comes against you, you can be consistent with the Lord and not be swayed by the storms of life, right? So that's what we're talking about, being steadfast and immovable movable because I don't know about you guys but there are some days I wake up and I'm ready to take on the world there are some days I wake up and I just want to try to start all over again right because life gets hard sometimes but we want to be both steadfast and immovable turn to your neighbor and say steadfast now turn the person you just neglected on the other side of you say immovable that's right. Let's do it. Let's get take out your sermon notes. Hopefully you got those on the way in the door. As you're getting those out, I do want to remind you, at both of our lobbies, we've got our invite cards to Easter. Um, so, man, take some of these. Give them to somebody. Give them to a waitress. Give them to the person that you see walking your dog. Whatever. Give them to somebody. This year, our theme for Easter is The Greatest Showman. Um, so how many guys have seen The Greatest Showman? Any of you guys see that? Listen, it was phenomenal. If you didn't see it, I don't know what rock you're living under. But... Um, it was an amazing movie. Um, and so we have some special things that we're going to do on Easter, but we want to talk about the greatest show on earth and the greatest show in history where Jesus flipped death in reverse. Come on, somebody, right? So we're going to talk about it on Easter. So we want you to come out and invite some friends uh, and let's, let's do that. All right, let's get straight into it. So let's, def let's define what we're talking about when we say vanity. Let's have a look at one of the definitions of vanity here. The first definition is excessive pride in or admiration of one's own achievements, one's own achievements, right? So excessive pride in something that I've accomplished. How many guys know somebody that their Instagram looks like selfie city, right? Because they're just so proud of themselves. Anybody? No? All right. Y'all got better friends than me, I guess, right? So how many guys know that some of us tend to take excessive pride in what we've accomplished, Right? And so with vanity, what we're going to talk about today is the iceberg in our life is vanity. And how many of us, if we're not careful, uh, will take over excessive pride in the things that we've accomplished, giving little sight to who God is in our life sometimes. We become compulsive, we become obsessed with the things of this world, and we tend to not see the things that God wants us to be, the people God wants us to be, and the things that God wants us to see. 
Now, I thought the second definition was pretty interesting um, because the second definition is the quality of being worthless or futile. So how about the when we have excessive pride in our own achievements, it's actually worthless and futile. There's a thought, right? Ponder that and turn to your neighbor and give him a funny look. All right, so, right, like, interesting. So vanity, let's get into it. Dealing with the ice of vanity. We're going to go somewhere today because the ultimate end goal for us today is not actually to be talking about vanity as much as it's to be talking about peace. But I think for many of us, we have to deal with the excessive pride of certain things in our life so that we can recognize where our peace is at. All right, so turn to your neighbor and say vanity. Look back at him and say peace. That's where we're at today. Let's get into it. Dealing with the ice of vanity. Number one, when we're dealing with the ice of vanity, we have to recognize what drives us. We have to recognize what drives us. And I think there's two things that drive us in our life. If we were to be honest and get down to the core, uh, I think there's two things that drive us in life. One, I think that the, the first thing that drives us in life is that we feel that we aren't enough. That we aren't enough. How many guys uh, in deep inside feel like you have to overcompensate and achieve great things because you're overcompensating for an insecurity that's in your own life? So, I mean, I need, I need to be the best that I can be so that I can prove not only everyone wrong, but myself wrong, right? And here's one of the, I was talking to one of our young people in the church that I've discipled for a long time. And I, I told her this, I said, you need to stop projecting the lie onto other people that you feel like they're projecting onto you. Here's what many of us do in our life. We believe a lie about ourselves, but then it's not enough that we believe the lie. Then we project that lie onto other people and start thinking that they're thinking the lie that's not even true in our own hearts. And so we start to think that we're not enough, but not only that, we start to think that other people think that we're not enough. And so we become insecure, not only within ourselves, but we become insecure with the people around us because we're projecting our lie into them. And reality is none of it's true. God has destined you with a purpose and with fulfillment and with a plan. He wants to do great things with your life and he has every intention of doing great things with your life if we'll just get out of the way and take our insecurities and flush them down something so we can start getting to work with what God has for us. Come on, somebody. So we have to get over the fact that we're not enough. But what drives us in our vanity, what drives us in our insecurity, what drives us in our self-accomplishments is trying to overachieve because we feel like we're not good enough, right? And so we don't think we're worth it. And because we don't think we're worth it, we think we have to obtain more to be worth more. And can I tell you something? There's nothing you're going to obtain that will make you more valuable than the moment you realize you, were, you had been paid for with a price that Jesus already established on the cross. Everything that Jesus has said you are, you already are, and there's nothing you're ever gonna add to that by accomplishing more. So the cross dictates your value, not other people's words, not how people see you, not the mistakes you've made in life, not where you've come from, not what your lineage was, not what generational curses because your mom was broke and your grandma was broke. You think you're going to be broke. None of that dictates your value. The cross dictates your value and somebody already paid the highest price for you. Therefore, you're worth it. Okay. So we are enough. I put this, this quote on here because I thought it was really good. We have allowed our value to be established by our belongings, what we can obtain, rather than allowing our belonging to establish our value. So we think that we're worth more because we've obtained more things. In reality, our value is already at its highest point. 
Not because we can obtain something, but because of who obtains us. Who we belong to dictates our value, not what we can get. So that brings us to our second point. The second thing that I believe drives us, and if we were honest with ourselves, it would be that we don't think that God is enough. God isn't enough in our life. Because here's the reality. We think, like, if I were to sit each, if individually we were to sit down together and I would say, is God enough for you? We would all, like, say absolutely yes. Like, of course God is enough for me. But if we were to research our life and see how it reflects this message, it would probably look very different. Here's what I'm getting at. We say that God is enough but then we back burner our relationship with him to obtain more things because those things make us feel like we're enough. So like, no, 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 God, like, I, I, God, you're totally enough, but I, I still need to go after this career that's going to cause my relationship with you to, to go down the tubes, right? Or I, I still need to pursue Johnny's soccer career because he's three, but he's going to be a pro, right? So like, I need, to, I need to pursue this thing, or I need to pursue that thing, or I need to, I need to chase after what this is. And we're, we're saying, God, you're enough the whole time, but our actions are showing God that he, in fact, is not enough. I still need to accomplish this great thing for me. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe that God has called us to accomplish great things in society, right? And that's a calling. That's not a drive. So when the Lord gives you a passion, a purpose, a gifting, and you use that not only to accomplish what you're accomplishing in society, but you can also accomplish something with a kingdom at the exact same time, how amazing is that that God gets to take what he called you to do with his purpose in the spiritual realm and connect it with your purpose in the natural realm? And so don't get me wrong, I'm not the guy up here saying you need to sell everything today, buy a hut, and live off the land. Because I'm not doing that. All right? I like my house and my truck. All right? So I'm not, we ain't doing, but what I am saying is we have to get to a place that God is enough in our lives. That we are enough in our eyes, right? And God is enough in our lives. So let's keep going. Ecclesiastes 2 one and three. So we're going to spend a good amount of time in Ecclesiastes today. Solomon wrote this book, all right? And so Solomon was the wisest man, had the most wisdom, God-given wisdom. So God gives Solomon all of this wisdom because that's, that was the thing that he asked for. And in Ecclesiastes, we see Solomon testing the things of this world to see if they would prove valuable enough to put God down and pick them up, all right? In Ecclesiastes 2, we're going to check this out. So let's jump straight into what we said. He says, I said to myself, this is Solomon, I said to myself, come, now I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does, uh, and what does pleasure accomplish, right? He says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. So pause for a second. So he's saying uh, he, he tried everything under the sun to try to figure out what would bring more purpose, more enjoyment, more fulfillment into his life. So uh, he goes out and throws parties. Now, how many guys were partiers back in high school? Be honest for a second with yourself. Okay, don't try to be self-righteous in this crowd. You're going to lose. Okay, so like, how many guys, partiers, right? I was, a, you know, BC. We're talking BC, before Christ. Okay, so... Like, some of y'all are like, oh, I thought y'all meant yesterday. No, listen, different story, right? Before Christ, I was, I was a bit of part of your myself. And, uh, but how many guys, like, so some of y'all was trying to get 20 people in a living room. Solomon was getting like 20,000 people at a party. 
all right? So, like, he was throwing, there ain't no party like a Solomon party because a Solomon party don't stop, all right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, so he was throwing it down, man. So, and then he would, he would uh, they would bring in comedians, right? So he was bringing in the Kevin Hart's of that day, you know, the, uh, the rednecks with the cutoff things, the shirts and stuff, you know, like, like all those. He was bringing in the best of the best, man. Why? Because he said, I'm going to test whether or not these things are good. So Solomon was doing it, man. He was putting in work. And so he says, I tried cheering myself with wine, didn't work. Embracing and folly, the madness, didn't work. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. Now this is important because what Solomon is saying here is, I was trying all of these things, but my wisdom was still connected. In other words, I was still in tune to what I was trying to accomplish. I never lost track of myself. Right? Because some of us do the opposite. Some of us are like, no, no, no I'm going to just do this. I'm going to do this one time, one time, but I can totally control it. You can't control it. Right? Don't be Solomon. No, don't try to be like him. But he still had his wisdom connected. He knew what he was trying to accomplish. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So we see the thing driving Solomon, right? So we're talking about what drives it. The thing driving Solomon was to see exactly what we just talked about. Is God enough or do these things really hold value, right? And he shows us that he partied harder than you can ever party, had more, obtained more money than you can ever obtain, obtained more things than you can ever get and realized it was all worthless. So you and I, I, you have to recognize that there's nothing in this life worth putting God down for to try to pick up. We're going to need him every day of our lives. All right? Let's keep going. Number two, we recognize what drives us, but then we have to recognize what defines us. What defines you? Right? What have you become known for? And, and, and this is a really important question. How many guys remember the Disney movies back in the day? Where are my, where are my millennials at? Remember those Disney movies? Brink? Come on, somebody. Everybody bought a pair of skates after that, right? Now, y'all older than millennials, folks, y'all have no idea what we're talking about right now. And that's okay. Let us have a moment, okay? Johnny Tsunami, surfer turned uh, snowboarder, where y'all at? Come on, right? Golly, those were terrible movies, but they were so much fun to watch. So anyways, there was a scene in, in the movie Brink, and I remember watching it going, wow, like, wow. And uh, so in the movie Brink, the, the kid is like, he's a skater, so he skates a lot, and his dad comes to him, and his dad had gotten injured on a job. And he was telling Brink how he should be identifying himself, right? And so the dad comes to this young man. His name is Brink. That's his nickname. And he says, listen, he said, I remember when I got injured on my job. He said, I didn't know who I was anymore because I defined myself by what I did, not by who I was. And he said, you need to start learning that what you do doesn't define you. Who you are defines you. I said, my God, Disney dropping wisdom bombs right here. Y'all know what I'm talking like. But how many of us in life haven't caught a hold of that yet? We still think, like, we self-identify with the thing that we're the best at. And can I tell you something? Ministry, that doesn't get easier. Like, what happens for you? Let, let's say you're a... I don't know if it's a professional golfer, but let's just roll with it, all right? Maybe Bo's in here somewhere. I don't know. But if you're a professional golfer and you, def you have learned to define yourself with what you're great at, what happens the day you get in a car wreck and you can never do it again? You automatically go through depression because you lose the thing that defined you your whole life. Now, we can take that out of such a serious scenario but bring it down to where we are 
What happens when you no longer do the thing that defines your value, right? What happens is you lose track of who you are. But if you, who you are is always defined by whose you are, you never lose that identity. In other words, if Jesus is always the identifier for you, then you never lose track and you never lose the roadmap back to where your source comes from. Because Jesus already said in his word, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That means he's in this for the long haul. That means we can always come to him. We can always come back to him. He's always here for us. In other words, Jesus isn't going anywhere. And since my identity is in Christ, since my identity and my value comes from what Jesus already said I'm worth, I never lose track of who I am and I never lose track of what I'm worth. I never lose track of my, what drives me and I never lose track of my identity and what defines me. Why? Because I never lose track of what I'm connected to. Jesus is the constant in my life, no matter what comes and what goes. Therefore, my value stays regardless. You lose your job tomorrow, if your value is in Christ, you didn't lose anything yet. You're just looking for what Jesus is going to bring. Doesn't mean we don't lose some sleep sometimes. Come on, somebody, right? But Jesus dictates our value. So we have to recognize what defines us. Let's keep going with Ecclesiastes 2. We're going to jump down 4 through 6 here. So Ecclesiastes 2 says this, I made great works. So Solomon starts talking about all the things that he did, all the things that he accomplished. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I've made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. So here's the deal. You go to Israel right now. I was just in Israel two years ago. If you go to Israel right now, the pools that Solomon built are still there. So he built them into the caves, he built them into the hills, he built them in the caves. And what he did is he actually built an irrigation system for his trees so that when the dry seasons came, the pools that were built into the caves that were holding the water would, uh, would be the irrigation system for the trees that he planted. So not only did he build, or not only did he plant trees, he built an irrigation system to give water to the trees during dry seasons so that year round and for eternity, Solomon will be known for doing great things. But even in what defined him, it wasn't enough. And what we have to realize is what defines us, if it's anything outside of who Jesus is, we lose track of that. And we have to understand, we have to come back to who God is, right? Number three, then we have to determine what's missing. Turn to your neighbor and say, what's missing? We have to determine what's missing. So if we're recognizing that something that's driving us shouldn't be driving us, and something that's defining us shouldn't be defining us, then we have to come to grips with what's missing, right? So we jump down to Ecclesiastes 2.11, and it says this, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, right? Which I got a feeling that Solomon didn't actually do much of this. He had people to do it for him because he was really, really rich. Anyway, so yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had done or what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. In other words, Solomon's saying, none of it was worth it. None of it created value. None of it gave me more pleasure than what God gave me having him in my life. There's nothing you're going to accomplish and or obtain because what's missing, and this is where we want to kind of hone in on what's missing in our life because what's missing in our life and what we try to replace with our vanity, so what we try to replace with our accomplishments, what we try to replace with what defines us, what we try to replace with all of that, we're trying to replace with vanity, right? So what, all those things, what's really missing in our life is one word. I want to give it to you. It's called peace. 
Like, how many of us, how many have ever laid down at night before and you, you laid down, your body was tired, your mind was tired, but you were still restless? Like your spirit was restless. And God wants to bring peace into our life. This is where we see Philippians 3 come in. And, and I want to show you some words of Paul for a second because he, he kind of touches on this a little bit. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Talking about all the things we can obtain, all the things we can have in life, all worthless because of what Christ has done. Yet, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. In other words, we see Paul saying like, man, you can have it all. Take it all if I can have Christ. You can take everything if I can have, it's all garbage, it's all worthless if if I can't have Christ. Give me Jesus and whatever he wants to bring into my life, but I'm not going to go out trying to create my own value with what I can obtain and lose track of the most important thing in my life, which is Christ. Right? And so the idea, and so I want to give you a word, uh, one word in the Bible is called shalom. And, And shalom in the Bible means peace, right? But it's a different kind of peace than just like peace, right? So it's a different kind of peace. Shalom means a peace that can only be understood with a connection to God's spirit. And see, many of us, we, we feel like we're at peace when things aren't going wrong, but there's still a restlessness in us that we lose track of. And so I want to show you, I brought something for you guys to, to kind of, I want to paint a picture for you, not literally paint, but um, I want to kind of show you something, help you understand what I'm talking about. How many of you guys have ever seen one of these before? These little toys. If you're a parent, you have, right? The, where the little shape and like only a shape fits into the, We're trying to teach our kids what a circle is. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Don't play dumb. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay. You parents know what this is because you've stepped on the triangle at 2 a.m. on the way to get a, bo- a cup of water out of the refrigerator. You know what I'm saying? That'll test you. Anyway, so, so the reason I brought this up here. It's got to want you guys to see something. See, in the fall, when, when God created uh, the earth, right, he created man, he created us whole, right? And Adam and Eve really screwed up for everybody else. But anyways, that's not what I'm going into. When we sin, when sin entered the world, what happened is where we were whole, God literally removed a part of us from us. So we were whole, we were complete. Everything was in us and we were designed exactly the way God wanted us to be. But when we sin, what we said is I want something else more than I want God, right? And so what God did is a part of us left us. And that part that left us is peace, right? Which is why our spirit is in a constant state of restlessness, right? Until we become whole with God again. So, but here's what I wanna show you that we do, right? The thing, the space that's missing is right here, right? The space that's missing is right here. And it's really, really simple. God is the only thing that can fill it. You with me? God is the only thing that can fill that space. But here's what we try to do. Rather than going to the source to get the space filled, rather than going to who can fill it because he designed it, rather than going to that, what we try to do in our life is we try to figure out how we can fill it right? So we go out and get some trophies, right? Some accomplishments. How many guys got trophies, right? You're the best boss in the whole world or whatever, right? Like number one salesman of the whatnots and whoever, like, you know what I mean? You sold more jelly beans than anyone. No, listen, 
Like we all go out and we get trophies, we get awards, but guess what? It doesn't matter how big your trophy is because it's, it's not that it's too big or too small, it's that it's not the right size. See, the, the void in our life, the space that we need to be taken up, it's not about filling it with something bigger, it's about filling it with something that's right. So we can go out and get awards, but it doesn't make us feel any better. We can go out and we can read books and watch movies to transport, transport us to a different world so we can forget about our problems for a little bit. Guess what? Still doesn't fit. I couldn't bring a whole truck on stage, so I brought one of these. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So like, we can go out, we can buy a bigger truck, we can buy a bigger house, we can buy a better car, we can buy a faster car, we can get jet skis and boats. Guess what? It doesn't fit because it's not a matter of getting something bigger. It's not a matter of getting something brighter. It's not a matter of getting something flashier or something more expensive. It's about getting the right thing that fills the void and it makes us whole again. And man, in life, we find ourselves trying to accomplish things and we find ourselves trying to fill this void in our life with everything we think we need when we don't recognize that we've already been told what we need. Man, God's spirit alive in us. What is the driving force behind you today? What are you trying to accomplish tomorrow? And if the answer isn't what God wants for me, but your self-promoted ideas for your, for your life, then you're always going to be at a state of restlessness because you've not connected to what God wants to fill in your life. Your peace can only be found in who God is for you and in your life. You'll never fill it on your own. So, it's not so much that the iceberg is about vanity as much as vanity is the overcompensation for a lack of peace. I try to accomplish great things because I desperately need to fill this void in my life, but you'll never fill it because it's a void only built for God to fill in your life, right? Number four, how do I get peace? That's the big question, right? So how do I get it? How do I get peace? Well, here's the deal, folks. When it comes to peace and when it comes to what's missing um, in your life, there's only one thing that you need. There's only one way that you fill it, and that's that you fill the void. You fill the space with the only thing that fits in the space. Let's go back to Philippians real quick. It says this. Philippians 3, 12 and 14, Paul comes back again. He says, I'm not saying that I've got it all together and I'm not saying I've made it, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. Listen, folks, even Brad, your pastor, <laughs> fails at the idea of trying to prove my own worth sometimes. But here's what I have to come back to. But I've got my eye on the goal. Some translations say I'm fixed on the prize where God is beckoning us onward, where he's calling us to, which is where Jesus is. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. 
In other words, I've decided in my heart that I am done trying to prove myself to people who I can't prove myself to. I'm done in life trying to prove to myself that I'm worth more than what Jesus has already said I'm worth. And I'm done in my life trying to put God on a back burner so I can achieve great things in this world because I'm going to lose it all. And Solomon already proved I can't get better than he was. So listen, in each one of these areas, I have decided in my heart that God is enough. And if you want to step into a place of restfulness as opposed to restlessness, if you want to step into a place of peace, then you have to allow yourself to be completed, not by what you do, but by who he is. God has to be enough in your heart. Let's jump down to Ecclesiastes 3. 11, Solomon gives us one more word here. He says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. And this this right here was the part I wanted you to see. He has planted eternity in the human heart. And the reason I wanted you to see that is that he has put inside of me, inside of you, each one of you, he's put inside this idea of eternity and this idea that I need to belong to a God that holds eternity. And so he's already put eternity in our hearts, which means that we're only going to find rest in the thing or in the person that doesn't bring me temporary rest, but brings me eternal rest. In other words, it's not just enough to be rested today, but be in hell tomorrow. I need to be connected to the God that can give me peace from both. But even so, People cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So here's what I tend to think of our relationship with the Lord like. I remember when my my wife and myself first started dating, we were in lust. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You're looking at your spouse right now like, hey, baby. I know she's watching right now. Anyway, so... That's my wife. I'll say what I want. Anyway, so I remember when we, we started dating and, and uh, we were inseparable. I don't know what I'm talking about. Listening to each other breathe till one o'clock in the morning till one of our phones died. Y'all know, right? We would go over to each other's house and then fall asleep on one of the couches. You know what I mean? Like we weren't even with each other, but we were together. And uh, man, I, I remember doing that. I remember a story when me and one of our staff members was talking about the other day and it's a story about a guy and a girl and and uh, they're, they're, he had a single cab truck. Y'all remember them old pickup trucks? Some of y'all remember that. Come on, old timers. I'm connecting with y'all for a second. Millennials had their moment a few minutes ago. This is y'all, right? Them old trucks. That if you get in a wreck, that other person's done because it's a tank. Y'all know what I'm saying? So they had one of those style trucks and it was just a bench seat, no back seat. And, and so when the, the guy and the girl started dating, they were right next to each other, right? So they were, they were holding hands. The girl's right up. Like there's a whole seat over there, but she was right there. Right? And then over time, she moved over a little bit. Over time, she moved over a little bit more. Throughout the years after they got married, she was on the other side of the truck. And she would look back at him and say, you know, babe, I really miss the times where we sat close together. And he looked at her and said, yeah, but I hadn't gone anywhere. And I think relationship with the Lord is a lot like that. Because life gets busy and we forget who he's supposed to be to us. And we become more concentrated on life and, and the things that happen. And the other day, man, I left my house at 7 a.m. I got home at 9 p.m. My wife was already asleep. So the only conversation we had was literally, 
did you steal my cell phone charger? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those things got legs, man. But I came in, that was the only conversation we had on that day. Now me and my wife are in love, like I love my wife. It was just that day life got busy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And we didn't have a moment to, to connect. And I think both of those analogies, both the truck analogy and the, myself and my wife is a, is a pretty good image of how we are with Jesus sometimes. We said, Jesus hadn't gone anywhere. He's still driving the truck. We're the ones that keep scooting farther across the sea, right? Jesus hadn't gone anywhere. He's still at home. We're the ones that got caught up with how busy life gets. And we've lost track of what God wants to do in our life and who he wants to be to us in our life. And what we have to do is recognize that our peace is connected to our belonging, not our belongings. That there's nothing in this life that you're going to obtain. There's nothing that I am going to ever be able to do that's gonna make me worth more. There's nothing I'm gonna be able to get a hold of in my life that's gonna cause me to be able to be viewed higher in God's eyes. And, And can I tell you something? There's only one thing that matters after this, and that's what God thinks of me because he's the one I'm spending eternity with anyways. So I'll give you this last quote. It says this, at one point, There was a true happiness in man where now resides only empty space, which he tries to fill from what is around him. He looks to fill it by obtaining what he does not have. How many of us try to fill that empty space by obtaining the career, the job, the truck, the house, the whatever, right? All these things are inadequate because a space infinitely deep can only be filled by an infinite object. That is to say, only by God himself. Because listen, listen to me, folks. You tried it your way and I tried it mine. Where I tried to fill that space with things, achievements, accolades, awards. I walked away from, I I, I took a $60,000 pay cut a year to come work at the church and be a pastor. And there's not one day that I look back and go, man, I wish I hadn't done that. You wanna know why? Because God is my everything. And I found out similar to what Solomon said is that all of that is just meaningless because it doesn't hold weight over my head. There's no day that I think about going back to that. You wanna know why? Because it's not about my belongings. It's about my belonging. A young man came up to me last week. He said, Pastor Brad, I came to this church three weeks ago. When I left here, I was, I was planning on killing myself. And I was looking for hope. And last Sunday after the last song, you came up and said that this was a place where I could find hope. And today I met Jesus and he transformed my life. And I don't know, I don't have all the answers and all the solutions. I don't even know what I'm gonna do for lunch today he was broke. He said, but what I do know is I'm a brand new thing. I'm a brand new person. And Jesus is in control of my life now. And can I tell you something today? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Give God praise for that, you know, but can I tell you something today? There's not a dollar figure that does that. There's not a plaque I can put on my wall that makes me feel the way that made me feel. You wanna know why? Because now 
I'm walking out purpose. I'm not just in a pursuit for money. Now I'm connected to what God wants to do in my life. And now I'm, I'm, I've stepped into where I transform people's lives. And maybe you're never gonna be a pastor. Maybe you're never gonna stand behind a pulpit. Maybe you're never gonna preach a, a message on a platform. Maybe you're never gonna do any of that. But can I tell you something? That God has a purpose that if you work at the bank, if you work at the hospital, if you work at the restaurant, he's putting broken people in front of you that need the hope of Jesus. And if you can connect your purpose, stop being so focused on chasing after the paycheck that you lose track of the purpose that God is gonna put broken people in front of us every day when he knows he can trust us that when we get off of what we're trying to accomplish in ourselves we can get fixated on what God destined us to do and that's to be the salt and the light of the earth around us so that we can bring flavor that means so that we can bring a difference that means so that we can bring Jesus to the scene and we can introduce change and we can introduce hope where there's hopelessness we can introduce peace where there's restlessness and we can tell them about a God that makes them belong to something great as a opposed to being in a constant pursuit after obtaining great things. And when we get fixated on our purpose, we can connect to who God wants us to be. How many guys are ready to join me in a pursuit after peace because we're in a pursuit after Christ? Come on, somebody. You guys with me today? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you, God, and we, we just love you today. We thank you that you are hope to the hopeless. God, that you renovate the broken. You restore, God, us into a right place. God, I pray right now for every person that's in this room that they've been consumed with restlessness and a constant pursuit of obtaining. God, I pray right now that you bring peace into their heart by introducing them to the fact that you are the only infinite object that can fill the infinite void that is in our life. So God, I just declare right now, Lord, for those who are missing peace, God, you bring shalom. You bring the peace that is only understood with a connection with your spirit. So God, I just declare peace and rest over those in this congregation right now, those that are watching us online. Peace and rest would take over their hearts and their spirit today. Thank you, Lord. If you're in this room today, as your head is, continues to be bowed with your eyes closed, if you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, I, I need that peace in my life. I, I, I need that source. I need to be connected to that, but I can't be connected to that because I'm not connected to God, who God really is. Maybe I know about God, but I know that I, my life isn't right with God and I need to know him today. And if that's you, the beauty of the gospel is this, folks, that the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short. That means we've all blown it. We've all missed it. I've missed it, you've missed it. We've all got sin in our life, but Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that in spite of our sin, he could give us a way to heaven. And if you today, you say, I, I not only need peace to solve my restlessness, but I need peace to solve my eternity. I wanna go to heaven and I wanna know Jesus today. If that's you, I'm not gonna come to you. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I wanna pray for you. And if that's you today, would you do me one quick favor? I just want you to lift your hand. 
I need Jesus in my life. Hands are going up all over the sanctuary, folks. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Like I said, I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to, to call you out. You said, that's me, pastor. I need Jesus in my life. Are there any more? Maybe you're watching us on live stream. You say, I need Jesus in my life, pastor. Here's what we wanna do. We wanna pray today. And we're gonna have you repeat this prayer after me, but here's the deal, folks. This prayer doesn't make you saved. Putting your faith in Jesus. The Bible says that we repent of our sins. That means we turn away from them, never to go back. But then he says, we put our faith in Jesus. And, and by putting your faith in that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sins, you are saved, folks. So here's the deal. We're gonna pray together. The whole church is gonna pray with you so you're not doing it by yourself. And we're gonna confess with our mouth what we're believing in our heart. And that is that Jesus is taking control of our lives. Let's pray together as a family church. Pray with us, say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Make me pure, make me clean, and make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins and that you rose three days later through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection, I can be saved. So I believe in you. I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, put your hands together for all those that prayed that perhaps the very first time. We celebrate with you. Awesome, 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 awesome.